The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 269er for June 21st, 2010. Welcome to a huge Cool Stuff Found episode. I am Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. On the other end of the Skype line, even though... For at least most of the time, the audio quality wouldn't let you believe it. It is John F. Brown here in Fairfield, Connecticut. But then I'm going to throw it back at you, Dave, because we also have Pilot Pete here. Am I part of the cool stuff found? You found me. <laughs> we finally <laughs> found you. You're, you're cool, Pete. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're the first on the list. Cool. That's right. All right. You know what? Let's dive right in. Let's go. Uh, let's go to Elliot here. And, that, you know, it'd be even better if I was ready. But Elliot says uh, he wants to talk about a couple of keystrokes. One is uh, he said the first one is a keyboard shortcut to restart Mac OS 10, which is control command eject. And he says the second one. And this is actually the one I thought was really cool because I've looked for this. I've wanted this, though. I haven't looked for it is uh, if you hit the command key while clicking on either an application in the dock or a stack in the dock, it will Im- instantly reveal that in the finder. Uh, it makes perfect sense, but, uh, but I had never used it before. And, uh, and I'm going to, I know I'm going to use that going forward because that's such a cool thing to do. Dave, why don't you try that option command eject right now and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skip that for right <laughs> no, now. No, no warnings on keep that. Keep the right? show recording. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. There are no warnings on that control command eject as we, uh, as we found, if you have apps running, it'll ask you to quit them. But otherwise, it's just going to restart that machine and off it goes. Right. And we'll um, and we'll link to I actually found a list. Uh, Apple has uh, support.apple.com slash KB knowledge base slash HT 1343. Lists a whole boatload. Another one I noticed, and this is like the granddaddy, and uh, you need enough fingers for this. Control option command eject. We'll do a shutdown. And I believe it acts the same as the... Uh as the as the restart, right? It asks you to quit if you have apps open, yep. but other if it's just the finder, down it goes. That's right. And it shuts you down. One that I use uh, pretty frequently on the desktop here is Control Eject will bring up a dialogue that asks you what you want to do. So it gives you a chance to, to bail out. Ah. Uh, uh. All right. Cool. Uh, should we move on to uh, Fred? This is actually a pretty cool one. Uh, and I had never noticed this before, but I, I guess both uh, John, you and Pete knew about this, or Pete certainly did. No, John, I, I think I, you did. All right, I but, didn't. Oh, all right. So let me tell. Let's talk about what it is, and then we can talk about uh, more. I guess. Fred says, "I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when I am listening to podcasts, and this also is true for music or videos on the iPod Touch or iPhone, sometimes I want to go back a fair bit or forward. I notice that if you put your finger." In the sliding timeline, so if you uh, you tap on the the screen to get your your slider up, and you start scrubbing through, uh, if you drag runway or another, it seeks in real time. But if you put your finger on the current position of the timeline, and without taking your finger off the screen, just drag your finger down and then scroll sideways, sideways, you will see that depending on your vertical position, your seeking time will be different. This is great if you want to fine-tune your seek. Works great for me when I want to go all the way back and then want to place the podcast at the exact point I want. I start scrolling on top of the timeline, 
Once I know I'm close, I can slide a finger down and the seek speed is much slower now, allowing me to find a much more precise point. I know it sounds confusing, but it's pretty cool when you get it. So, yeah, the idea is you just scrub through with your with your finger. But if you drag down or away from the scrub bar, uh, it will it actually says it right on there. Right. Right. High speed, half speed, quarter speed and fine. Yeah, there you go. Now, my problem is I, I tried to verify this. So, you know, I, I uh, took my uh, iPod Touch and I started playing back, uh, you know, this, this thing called Mac Geekab. And I saw the cover art, but all I saw was a volume slider and the play pause and, you know, forward and reverse. I'm like, well, where the heck is the slider? And as you pointed out, Dave, I'm like, well, what else could I possibly do to <laughs> change what I see? And I tapped once on the cover art and uh, it brought up that, uh, that timeline. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess that's a toggle. I, I just never uh, invoked it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I guess I guess it is a toggle because for me it was up and and on the screen already, but I must have already uh, I must have already done something. You know, um, I, I, while we're on the subject, let's call an audible here. iOS four just came out a number of hours ago, uh, and there's all the features that are listed, but there's a lot of features, and there's a couple things that I missed. One was that uh, email now supports data detectors. I got an email from a friend that talked about uh, getting together Friday night, and I noticed Friday night was a link. I'm like, why would he have put a link in the email? And I clicked it, and it said, I had a little option, scroll up from the bottom of the screen, that said create event or cancel. So it now would have let me create an event in the calendar, which is pretty darned cool. Oh, before I think you were only able to acknowledge an invite, not initiate. I couldn't even acknowledge an invite on the phone. Actually, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to see what happens the next time a, an invite like an ICS attachment or, or whatever it is comes in. Uh, yeah, that, that would that would not do anything for me. Um, and, and I got a I, I tweeted about that and I got a, a note back from somebody that said, try clicking a tracking number. It actually offers to track the package. So it's it's doing smart things. It used to it used to detect the phone number. Now it's detecting calendar dates and apparently tracking numbers, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, no, I, I uh, yeah, I, I downloaded the, like everybody else. I, I waited a few moments and looked at my Twitter timeline to make sure that, you know, nobody was uh, destroyed their device with this. Uh, <laughs> the only thing I got to say is that you may recall, Dave, that I had a recent liquid spill event. Yes. And at least on my iPod touch, uh, you know, third generation. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't like their choice of the, uh, the, 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 the water droplet background. <laughs> That's right. So apparently if you haven't <laughs> changed your home screen or if you get mm-hmm. a new phone, uh, the, the, there's now wallpapers available behind the uh, app windows, just like there are on the iPad. And, uh, and the default one is, as you're pointing out, John, is one that looks like it has water droplets all over it, which, is, which can be a little disturbing. So. Yeah, not as bad as the apparent scratch on the iPad back, right. default iPad background. And I wonder how many people are going to call Apple and, and complain and say, oh, my God, you know, I've got water drops uh, underneath my screen. How do I get them out of there? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know. Right, um, good one. And, and uh, while we're on the subject, um, according to Dan Frakes, uh, iOS 4 adds both Bluetooth Bluetooth keyboard support and support for the USB dock connector keyboard dock uh, for the iPhone now, which is which is an interesting thing. And I, I bet that I got to try it with the uh, I, iPad camera connection kit or the iPhone camera connection kit to see if uh, the USB port on that also supports a regular USB keyboard. That'll be something to uh, that'll hmm. be something to check out. Yeah, I'm going to try my uh, my Bluetooth mouse. Um, I'm pretty sure iOS doesn't have any hooks to support mice in any way, shape or form. 
Okay. The, the, the one other thing I noticed, uh, and yes, to answer your question, Dave, yes. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's, uh, I don't know about you, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's almost in the 90s here. So, yes, the AC is on. Um, but anyways, the one thing I noticed is once I did the upgrade, all of a sudden I got one of these um, uh, 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 iSync or synchronization alerts saying, oh, by the way, more than 5% of your calendar events have uh, changed. You want to sync those? Like, oh, man, you know, mobile me is just mobile me and syncing calendars is bad news. It, it's a scary proposition. I have I still use mobile me for my contacts because it's better than Google sync for my contacts. Uh, I still use mobile me for, you know, find my iPhone and all that stuff. But for calendar syncing, uh, I I use Google's calendar sync. It's not only is it more reliable, but it's actually more mm. configurable. It's way better, way better. So. Yeah, what got me is then I looked in the console. Apparently, I was getting a lot of uh, post, you know, errors and 503 errors, and it was Mobile Me Sync was the process that was experiencing those. Of course, it didn't bother to tell me this. Sure, I only learned now that a whole bunch of them have been piling up, and uh, decided uh, I don't know if the update, you know, cleared the Mobile Me pipe or, or what. So, right. Uh, right. and yeah, I had a lot of people respond saying Apple. You know, I mean, you know, Steve said you know Blu-ray is a bag of hurt. I think mobile B is kind of a bag of hurt. <laughs> yeah, the sync. It's it's the it's sync services that's that's you know, it needs a it needs an overhaul. I, I, I want to take a moment here and talk about our first sponsor for this show, which is Circus Ponies with Notebook 3.0. Now, Notebook is an app that's built to uh, collect all of your thoughts on any given subject. So you might be planning uh, an event. You might have a bunch of recipes. You might be taking a class. You might be doing a project at work and you'd create a virtual notebook here uh, and you can pull into it. Of course, you can type text in there, but you can also pull in all sorts of other data, PDFs, uh, pictures, and you can annotate these things. In fact, I have, I have an email from Patrick, uh, who is a Mac Geek Up listener and a new uh, Circus Ponies customer. And, and uh, I want to want to read what he said. He said, your podcast has kept my brain engaged for many, many miles of walking. I only listen to it when I'm doing my four miles a day because walking is the only time that I have. I won't be interrupted. I'd like to thank you for introducing me to Circus Ponies Notebook. What an excellent, simple and powerful application. I've been using version three since its introduction and keep finding more ways it can help me at work. On the personal side, I have found it to be the absolute best way to keep all of the emails from my best friends. I write messages to them, messages to them in Notebook and then paste these into the email app. Yes, my friends and I are of that older generation that writes letters that won't fit in a text message screen and these take some time to compose the blank sheet view in notebook is perfect for authoring and when i receive emails from my friends i paste them into the same notebook photos they send can be added to the page with the text in time i have accumulated some wonderful memories from our 30-year high school reunion a hospitalization letters of stress and loss work gardening food music vacation and every other aspect of life one really excellent feature of Notebook is that unlike email archives or other crude and ephemeral things, my letters are actually collected in one place that is backed up on .Mac and elsewhere. I can use the multi-dex to find anything in the file instantly. This might become more important as my memory fades. Did I mention I was an, of a certain generation? I just wanted to write and thank you for bringing Circus Ponies to my attention. So that's actually pretty cool uh, to hear of that use case for it as well. Certainly uh, not for everyone, but but that's the beauty of a piece of software like Circus Ponies Notebook is you find your own use. Uh, it is available from CircusPonies.com for $49.95, uh, but you can download it and get a 30-day trial. So test it out first, then buy it, and uh, off you go. Again, Circus Ponies Notebook from CircusPonies.com. And with that, I think we move on to Matt. 
and more cool stuff found. Hey guys, this is Matt from North Carolina. I just wanted to uh, send you guys a link to an Apple script uh, that I found on uh, the Mac OS X automation uh, website. Uh, probably a month or two ago, I can't remember how long ago it was, you had an episode where you had some, a caller uh, call, call in to uh, ask about several different things. And one of the things he asked about was um, making it easy to s- switch between users uh, with him and his wife. He said that they didn't, you know, have any problems with, uh, you know, switching from one user to another as far as, you know, trusting each other and everything. And um, they didn't want to have to type in the um, their passwords every time. So uh, uh, your suggestion to him was that just get rid of the passwords and you can just switch, you know, quickly without those passwords. Um, I happened to run into this Apple script uh, that I mentioned earlier um, the other day, which basically automates that process if you're in one and you want to go to the other real quick and you just open up the Apple script, which you can put in your toolbar and your finder or whatever, and uh, it will switch you without any problems. Um, love the show, guys. You can cut me off here. Thanks, Matt. And indeed, there's a link, macOS 10 automation slash Apple script slash account switcher. Uh, but we'll put that in the show notes. So thanks, Matt. That's pretty cool. Anything, John? Just want to make sure nope. you're still here. All right. I'm here. All right. You don't hear my AC? No, actually, I don't now. So I, I was okay, uh, sure. You, uh... I wasn't sure. I, I think I tuned it out. So, Oh, Mike has a good one. I got to try this. Okay. So yeah, Mike tweeted about this uh, and sent it to us a couple of weeks ago as we were piling up these cool stuff found. And it's called lucyphone.com. L-U-C-Y-P-H-O-N-E. And here's how it works. The, the concept is, and their tagline is never wait on hold again. So what you do is you go to Lucy phone and Uh, Put in the phone number and they've got customer service phone numbers for all these different companies. Uh, But if you know the number, you can put it in and then Lucy Lucy phone will call you and then patch you through to the company. Uh, And then you use the company's AVR system and navigate through their menu tree to get into the point where you're on hold. As soon as you're on hold, you hit star star. And what happens is Lucy phone hangs up on you, but they stay on the phone on your behalf. As soon as a live agent's on the line, Lucy phone calls you back and connects you to the agent. If you wound up getting put on hold again, say to wait for, you know, the next person in line, uh, hit star star again. And Lucy phone hangs up and you're back to doing whatever you're doing. I, you know, what kills me is I waited on hold the other night. Uh, we had some issues with the iPhone four pre-orders that we did. I waited mm-hmm. on hold for Apple the other night and I had completely forgotten about Lucy phone uh, until just now as we were mm-hmm. prepping the show. So I I'm, I'm already kicking myself for not using this because I knew about it. So thank you. Mike. So they, so they got to have some sort of, you know, cheesy elevator music recognition algorithm. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just trying yeah. to think how you would implement no, this. So I guess they look to. for That's any right. either silence or, and then when, when they detect what would appears to be a human. Right. Um, that's cool because you know I don't know why you would need this, Dave. Because all the every time I am on, I am on hold, they always say how valuable, uh, you know, how much they appreciate me and how valuable their time is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Yes. Oh no, no, right. no. I'm sorry. They say my call is very important to them, but not important enough to have enough people there, so right. you don't have to wait. That's right. 
And it, it's sort of crowdsourced because they have, you know, it, in the directory itself rather is crowdsourced because you can add companies. If you can't find someone in the directory and you find the number, then you just go that route. So, yeah. You know, there's another list. I, I got to find it, but there are also, um, you may know this, but there, there are in most, you know, uh, most of these systems, there's a way uh, you can either just bang on the keys and then try to find it. But I, I know somebody, I don't know if you know it off the top of your head. I'll, I'll look around for it, but it's a list of, touch tone secret codes that you can hit that'll usually get you to a person. Oh, it's driving me crazy because I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like Bob's list or it's not Craigslist, obviously. Let's see but if I can find it. I'll it's somebody. Pete's going to hunt for it. Yeah, it, I've seen this before, John. I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah I mean, sometimes it's zero sometimes or sometimes you just sit there and you hit nothing and a person will come. Right. To try to help you figuring that you're you're yeah, you're lost. Yeah, something's yeah. wrong. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great if you could find. But between those two things, I think that that would be, you know, that that would make lots of people real happy and not yeah. have to waste all that time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Uh, off to Kirshen, Iowa. You- oh. oh, wait. What happened? We'll st- let's start at the beginning with Kirshen. How's that sound? Hello, John and Dave. This is Kirshen from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You had somebody ask about a key remapper for um, the keyboard. There is this program called Key Remap for MacBook. It's an extension, and it's available at http colon slash slash pqrs dot org slash macosx slash key remap, the number four, MacBook. And it's a little uh, extension that... Uh, is installed and lets you um, remap um, keys from um, any key to any key. I remap the little enter key on the uh, MacBook Pro I have to uh, an option key, and that works really great. And um, I'll also include the um, web address as uh, part of the email I'm sending you. Take care and keep on uh, geeking. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsten. Yeah, it, it's um, it's important to know. I think the last time we... Uh, suggested uh, we talked about this. We mentioned a piece of software called double command, which, which serves a very specific purpose. This is a more general and customizable thing. They, they say, do not use the two together. So use one or the other, but not both. And my guess is it's because it's, they're doing some things at a fairly low level and probably touching the same bits uh, and pieces of the OS. And we don't want to, we don't want you to blow things up on your end. Yes. All right. right. Indeed. All right. I love these cool stuff found episodes. They, uh, you know, I may need this next one in light of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's see what it says. Bart writes, uh, I found something in which you might be interested. I'm using a product called Fruux, F-R-U-U-X from F-R-U-U-X dot com. It is just syncing with no frills. As the website says, it will sync your address book, iCal calendar and even your Safari bookmarks. I'm a school teacher with a Mac at home and two Macs at work, and this product works great. They're working on over-the-air syncing for the iPhone. They're also working on a web application so that you can have access to your data even if you don't have your personal computer with you. Check it out. It's currently in beta, but I have had no problems using it at all. Yeah, Bart, that's that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and certainly, John, that's right. For those of us fighting with uh, with these things, I you know, I, I I'm curious to see where Fruits takes this. You know, Google Google does it all for free because they make money from ads. Right. And they make more money from ads than they know what to do with. So they're, they're able to to extend these free trials out for a really long time until they figure out how they want to charge or if they want to charge. Um, 
my guess is Fruits has a, you know, they've got a runway at which, at which point they've got to take off and actually start earning revenue. So I'm, I'm wondering where it goes from there. Hmm. What do you need to do that for? Earning oh. revenue? <laughs> uh, well, they probably have, they have, they probably have venture capitalists behind them and they, yeah, they sort yeah. of demand that sort of thing eventually, mm-hmm. eventually, because they want to sell it. All right. Okay. It looks, it looks cool though. Pete's got something. Okay. It looks like uh, a number of websites uh, have frustrated callers share the tricks they have learned for cutting through the voice menu majors of major companies. Gethuman.com is one example. Um, and there's another one. There's, there's actually an iPhone app called Dial Zero, which is a free app, which gets you to directly to the person, uh, supposedly, uh, of over uh, 600 companies, according to their. Awesome. Their ad. So, yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah get, get, get human. This is what I've seen. Secret before. magic phone numbers that are answered by live humans always. Yeah. Oh, it can take a while. The average wait time for Verizon is 12 and a half minutes. There you go, Verizon. Good advertising. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. This get human yeah, thing because it yeah. shows you what the average wait is if you use their if you use the path that's that's prescribed here. Yeah, uh, yeah. and they list Lucy Phone as a service that can help. Uh, yeah, of there's course a link they can. down there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, ah, that's great. So cool. So cool. All right. Anything, John? Before we uh, move on to Robert here. Nope. Right. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. Uh, uh, it just really bothers me that there seems to be not a lot of error detection or recovery or whatever. I mean, I didn't know until this dialogue popped up that Mobile Me was just kind of sitting on these calendar entries. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why you should. I mean, that's why I set it for five percent. Yes. Um, for for most of the data that I sync, five percent is enough. Where if I see it's trying to sync more than five percent of stuff, I figure something's wrong. And in this case, it proved to be the case. There there was something quite wrong. Yeah, so let's talk about what, what let, let's explain what you're talking about. So in Snow Leopard, and this setting's available in Leopard as well, but in a different spot. So in Snow Leopard, uh, you can go into System Preferences, Mobile Me, and Advanced. Uh, and there's a little option at the bottom of the Advanced uh, Sheet, I believe is the right name for what shows up, uh, that has a checkbox that says Show Alert When... Uh, more than five, 25, 50% or any of the data on this computer will be changed. And that's how John had his set to five. And that's how he knew that there was going to be uh, an issue because it was going to try and alter either add, delete or modify more than 5% of any one application's data. So in this case, it was your calendar. Um, okay. And I can, of course, speak to how to do it on Leopard because right. I'm looking at it right now. Awesome. And uh, in Leopard, it's in a kind of weird place. So, so you said you went to Mobile Me in Advanced, correct? In 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 on System Snow Preferences Leopard. in Snow Leopard, correct? Okay, um, it's buried in Leopard, and then you have to start up iSync. Yeah, which is is that in the Applications folder or the Applications Utilities folder? Uh, let's see. I just started. Uh, up hey, actually, if you command click on iSync in the in the menu bar or in it's the dock, it'll show you. Yeah, see, it's an applications. But then what you do is you start up iSync. Okay. Preferences, and one of the options in the preferences is protect your data on this computer, and then it has a checkbox show data change alert. So, so it's basically the same setting. It's just in kind yeah. of a weird place because a lot of people probably don't even use iSync. I that, the only time I ever launched iSync for Leopard was. Uh, to change that setting, and if I had to do a sync services rebuild uh, to have you know all the apps repush the truth or whatever, uh, I would I would do that um, in from iSync. But otherwise, yeah, I never used that app because I never had any third party devices that required it. 
at least not not with leopard yeah i still do well for for uh, we'll see how much longer but my uh, as i think i mentioned my my, my poor crazer which is a nice uh, i mean that when i got that phone the thing is it is compatible with iSync. i mean i can sync my phone numbers um with it uh, I used to be able to tether to it, um, but it, it's it's on the fritz. I, I dropped it. No, I did not drop it after I heard about the iPhone 4 announcement. <laughs> I dropped it uh, several months ago, and it shattered the glass, but it still stayed in one piece. But it's starting to act up now. It's uh, locking up and resetting. And uh, yeah. I think it's about time to... Uh, so you not know. only have you moved into uh, using Mail.app, you're now considering using an iPhone. You've moved. Uh, you did one other big change this year. Well, you've had your employment changes that are that are in progress of happening. But uh, man, you're going uh, you're going nuts this year. I might as well just go, you know, I, I know, whole hog here and just get an iPad. And just just in. It's ten degrees cooler in hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's on its way to freezing over. <laughs> Uh, all right. Time to go to uh, Robert. Indeed. That sound good. All right. Robert writes uh, three additions to cool stuff found. Number one, I have Pathfinder, but I find that the only feature I really use is the drop zone for moving files. Uh, and to explain that, we've talked about it before, but the idea is uh, it gives you like a little stack onto which you can drag things and then. Uh, you can move to another folder and then drag things off of that stack into another folder. It can be really handy for moving files around. Uh, so Robert says uh, there is an app called X shelf that gives you this same functionality without all the other features of Pathfinder on the side of the screen. It hides a small, almost invisible shelf that slides out when you drag over it. I can drag any file icon to it from anywhere, finder, mail, etc., and store it there. Then I navigate to a folder or mail message and I drop it. I use it all the time and it's free. So this is pretty cool. You can drag it uh, into apps as well, right from there. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, ready to move on to number two, or do you have a comment about X shelf, John? Nope. Keep okay. Going. Number two is a new app called talkie. That is a simple push to talk menu bar item that sends your voice to another user on the network, just like a walkie talkie or an intercom. Uh, I use it all the time to communicate with my assistant. Uh, it's at A-T-A-S-T-Y pixel.com, which we will put in the show notes, of course. Uh, and the cost is four ninety nine. Clients are free. Well, that sounds pretty handy, actually. Huh. I'm going to guess that, that that's something that works just on your local network. Of course, you could use something like Skype or iChat, but I think all of those reach out to the cloud to do what they need. Right. To do. Huh. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Oh, it's... <laughs> You know, sometimes reading URLs without any capitalization and makes it tough. It's a tasty pixel.com. So that's mm. what it is. Uh, he says uh, that it's, it's called talkie. So it's for Mac and for iPhone. It will do Wi-Fi and Bluetooth for the iPhone. And then uh, in the Mac, it just sits in your menu bar. So mm. pretty cool. And I, and there is a free version and a premium version. I'm trying to premium features. Uh, talk to the other users. Okay. So they, so you do need it. Uh, I'm not sure what the free version would do now that I'm looking at this because you uh, talkie is free to talk to other users using talkie for iPhone or talkie for Mac premium. So you just buy one copy and give the free version to everybody else and they can't talk to each other, but they can talk to you. So that's how it works. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, and one more. Uh, a free, uh, and I have to agree with this. A fantastic app for the iPad is I annotate. Far better, in his opinion, than Goodreader. 
it allows you to read and mark up any PDF and it has amazing navigation tools. Nine ninety nine and well worth it. It has earned a place in my iPad's dock. And this is at AJIDev.com. Uh, yeah, for PDFs alone, uh, I have to agree. This is this app's really cool. Uh, it lets you, as he said, annotate, mark up, and, and view and uh, scroll PDFs in a very cool way. So um, I annotate is its name. Mm-hmm. Anything uh, anything to add there, Joan? No, no. All right, I'm reading all these emails. I want to you know get some discussion going here. Uh, you know, I let's talk about our second sponsor. Because this is actually a pretty cool company, uh, and it's new to the Geek Gab, and that is Gazelle.com at Gazelle.com. The idea behind Gazelle is that you can, uh, they're, they're out there to buy your used gadgets, be it an iPhone, uh, an MP3 player, uh, another cell phone, your old computer, whatever it is. And the coolest part is, uh, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty easy process. You go to Gazelle.com. You search for your the gadget that you're trying to sell. Uh, you answer some simple questions about the condition that the gadget's in, uh, and then it'll tell you what they'll pay you for it. Uh, then they you ship it to Gazelle for free, and in many cases, they'll actually send you a box uh, to ship it in, and then you get paid. You either get paid with a check, PayPal, an Amazon gift card, or if you don't want the money, you can actually donate it to charity and get a get a write-off for it that way. Uh, it's easy, fast, safe, and uh, environmentally responsible, according to the folks at Gazelle. They pay for shipping both ways, and as I said, they they often even send you a box for the uh, for the device. They they. I highly recommend if you're shipping anything to them that has data on it, that you wipe it before you send it, but they also do a data wipe on it before they do any, anything with it, uh, including just sending it to a landfill. Uh, you know, they, they make sure that, uh, that your, you know, your data is off of there. Categories include cell phones, as I said, laptops, cameras, uh, GPS devices, old gaming systems, uh, it, it's really cool. What really, what I recommend you do is just, even if you don't have something that you want to sell today, go to gazelle.com within about 30 seconds. Uh, you're going to have prices up in front of you. It's so easy to navigate. Uh, when, when, uh, they, they came on board as a sponsor, I got on the phone with them and while I was on the phone with them, I'm, I'm there like searching for all my gadgets thinking, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I don't need that old camera that we're not using or, you know, that old phone, I could get rid of this. And even just stuff I, I want to get rid of, uh, this is kind of a nice way to do it. Cause I'm not just throwing it away. Uh, the cool part is that they've given us a little bit of a deal to pass to you. If you use the code Mac geek, all lowercase M A C G E E K. When you check out, They'll add five percent to whatever they pay you for the uh, for the gadget. Uh, they do confirm that the gadget is in the shape that you said it was in when they get it. And here's the thing: if it's in worse shape than you said it was in, well, the number is going to be less. If they can, if they decide that it's going to be less, they'll let you know. And at that point, you can decide whether you want to take their offer or take your device back, and they'll just ship it back to you, no charge to you. If, however, it's in better shape than you said, uh, they will offer to pay you more for it. And obviously you can take that money or or walk away. So using the code MacGeek, you get 5% on top of whatever uh, they would normally pay you for it. So highly recommend checking these guys out. It's a great, uh, you know, it's good timing on their part because, you know, of course, the iPhone 4 comes out. There's probably going to be a lot of you that have extra iPhones you're not sure what to do with. You can get decent money for some of your phones, some of your old iPhones. So uh, I highly recommend it. 
uh, and uh, and and they, they they say they're environmentally responsible. They say that uh, you can be part of helping to prevent more than seventy tons of uh, electronic waste per year. So uh, get them out of your closet. Get them to Gazelle. Put some cash either in your pocket or uh, in the pocket of your favorite charity. And uh, and off you go. So that, again, that's gazelle.com and the coupon code is MacGeek. Happy to have them on board. Thanks for uh, thanks for supporting us and supporting them. All right. Nice. I wonder yeah. if they'll take my uh, your crazer. Yeah. Oh, I bet hey. they would. I bet they would. Better, if I can get more than throwing into the landfill, then uh, <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, there's there's something in there that still works. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's not in excellent condition, though. I'll, I'll admit that. No, so. yeah, and, and they've got you know they've got a way that you can you know kind of indicate that. Um, it, I know when I was searching for iPhones, you know, trying to price out my iPhone on there. There's even a question: mm-hmm. Does it have water damage? And they'll even take it with water damage. They'll pay you a whole lot less for it, of course, but at least it's something to offset the cost of of the one you got to replace. So, oh, nice. Did you you know I saw an article the other day that came up talking about water damage. Yeah, on a lot of uh, or at least the iPod Touch. I think it's similar for the iPhone. If you peek into the um, headphone jack, headphone jack, yep, and you see red, bad, bad, red, bad, then that indicates to whoever looks in there that that liquid has. So that's a, a moisture sensor, I guess, it, yep. inside of the. So you need devices. a tiny piece of confetti, confetti to <laughs> shove down in there before you bring it. <laughs> some, you know, yeah, some whiteout or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's actually a knowledge base article that talks about where to look on their devices for uh for that but i can't uh i can't it probably it. shouldn't tell you where it is you know mm. anyway. yeah it does tell you where it is but uh, well because if you know where it is then you can you know then you can circumvent it i guess i mean you'd have to, anyways yeah you'd have to go out of your way to dave we got more cool stuff I know, just I know. amazing there's, I, there's too much it's, more yeah, yeah so you know um I, i'm curious to hear from you folks about uh, you know, we usually do this. We mound up the cool stuff found and then blow it all out in, in one episode. Uh, how does how, does that work for you folks? I, I'm curious to hear what uh, what the what the you as the listener wants. Uh, if you want it to be all in one show like this or if you'd rather us, you know, just piecemeal two or three per show and pretty much have them in every show. So uh, so let us know. I like doing it this way. It's fun. Makes the prep different for us. So, it, it, you know, we can get a little more excited about it. And it, it sort of gives us a, a break from the normal routine. But I'm curious to what to what you folks think. And we'll factor that into the next time we do it. All right. For now, Andy says, I figured something out that some of your audience might find handy. There are times when I see a site that has content that Instapaper does not render at all. For example, CNET articles. So uh, using my favorite PDF manager for the iPad, I access the built-in browser and head to web2pdfconvert.com. Excuse me. I paste in the URL of the article and click the convert button. After a few seconds, I'm given the URL of a new PDF and I download it into my fast PDF library on my iPad. Hope this helps someone. By the way, love the show. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Uh, So yeah, using fast PDF or you could do this with Goodreader. I think you can do it with iAnnotate. Uh, you navigate to a URL, but this web to PDF convert.com and that's the number two. That's pretty cool. Uh, then you plug in a web page and convert it to PDF. So that I like it. Nice. And on the Mac, of course, uh, most people may know this, but if you don't, here's how on the Mac and this, this is both on snow leopard and leopard. If you're pretty much in, I think almost any application, Dave. Yeah. And you would like to take what you see on the screen and save it to a PDF. Uh, it may not, 
you know, be immediately obvious. Yep. But if you go to file, print, you will see in the lower left-hand corner of the print menu, a little PDF pull-down. Yep. And if you go to that, you will see save to PDF, save as postscript. Uh, you can fax it. Oh, look at that. Mail it. Save it as a PDF X, dash X, whatever the heck that is. Save PDF to iPhoto, to web receipt. Look at that. Wow. Mm-hmm. You can even edit the menu. So, um, yes. Yeah, it's kind of a, a hidden feature. Uh, not really too hidden. But anyways. So, so it's important to note that that will save to PDF whatever the document would have looked like when printed. Uh, and that may or may mm-hmm. not be what you're looking at, looking for with a web page. A lot of web pages mm-hmm. wind up being formatted very differently when being printed. And, and you may actually prefer it that way. So this might actually be a good thing. But uh, but that is something to bear in mind is that it will it's not just taking what you see on the screen necessarily. It's it's taking what would have been printed and saving that as a PDF. Again, that may be that may be preferable. Yeah, but actually a lot of times, mostly, I mean, yeah, if I'm looking at a web page, Dave, then typically I'll do a save as, and I'll usually save it as a uh, web archive. Right. It's usually what I'd like to do. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. Off to Carl, which didn't really come in as cool stuff found, but certainly fits into the category. Uh, Carl writes, uh, with regards to encrypting zip files, I heard your recommendations on the show, but you omitted a great utility that doesn't require the command line called better zip at Mac it better or Mac it better.com. I'm loath to pay for compression software after being milked year after year by stuff it upgrades back in the day. But after using the trial for a while, better zip was so good. I paid for it and it even opens those old stuff it files. So I had no need to keep the stuff it uncompressor around anymore. So very cool. Carl, thank you for, uh, for sending that along. That's, that's good to know. Still nothing free and good, but, you know. Uh, so, um, yeah. No, I'm with you. Oh, come on. People should uh, go to the command line. No. no uh, you know. Look, I'll look at better. So I, I actually, I agree with you. The command line's not that scary, right? And it's good to learn, uh, especially if you're a budding geek, as, as many listeners to the show are. Uh, but I also think it's great to uh, support the software vendors uh, whose software that you use, because especially these little guys, right? Because, you know that you, you, your, your, your funds could be the difference between them continuing to develop and not, I mean, it, you know, 20 bucks from any one of us maybe isn't, isn't going to make the difference, but you know, if 10 of us send them 20 bucks or a hundred of us send them 20 bucks, well, that starts to add up to money that, you know, you can, might be able to use to buy some groceries or, or pay your mortgage. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call that audible now, John. And, uh, and, and we're going to do Andrew's thing that came in just before we started the show. So, uh, so here we go. Hi, John and Dave. This is Andrew from Columbus. I'm calling in for your call on Cool Stuff Found because I uh, found a pretty awesome hard drive. It's a hybrid, and so it's a 500 gigabyte uh, standard platter hard drive, but it has a 4 gigabyte SSD chip in it. And it's got onboard software to to uh, manage what the most used data on the drive is, and it puts it on that little flash chip on there, so that it's completely seamless and uh, gives you some of the advantages of having an SSD drive while still giving you the space of having a platter. It also costs less, and uh, it does everything without you having to think about it. So it just it figures out what the most important data to stick on the uh, faster SSD chip is, 
and does it there. So you were talking about SSDs a while and the go and the speed that they produce, and I thought you'd be interested in this because it really is sort of a hybrid and a, a great choice for people who don't want to spend the money for a large uh, SSD hard drive or uh, need the space that you get with a uh, flatter hard drive that you don't have on SSDs yet. Take care. I love the podcast. And don't get caught. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So it's 129 bucks, uh, at oh, Amazon or Tiger direct for a 500 gig drive with this four gig SSD in there. Uh, so that's not so bad. That's not, uh, you know, for, for what uh, it does, that's pretty interesting. Curious. I'm very curious about the, uh, yeah. What do they call it? Adaptive memory technology. I'm very curious yeah. about the algorithm. Cause to me, it sounds an awful lot like they're, caching but maybe they're doing it in a more intelligent fashion than your traditional cache which most hard drives uh well all hard drives i think have a you know fast memory cache right right yeah this is this is probably quite quite a bit larger than your typical cache in oh yeah drive. yeah four gig yeah most of them are uh, yeah, yeah like I fact, think the one that i got is i think the drive that i just got it's a i believe a 16 megabyte cache which is Pretty large as far as yeah. hard drives caches are concerned. Th so. This one actually has a 32 meg cache. It's a it's a 50. Uh, the, the, wait, oh. uh, it's a 7200 RPM drive with 32 megs of cache memory. Um, so you know, there you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious how that uh, how that works. We, we might have to check one of these out. I like I like this concept because it you know it blends. I, I'm, my my big concern is is four gigs enough to make the difference between a, you know, a, a platter, you know, wh where does it fall on the scale? Right. You know, with, with, with a regular hard drive being at zero and an SSD being at 10, does this bring you up to a five? I mean, is that, you know, in, in terms of the, that, that user experience kind of thing, that's uh, we got to, mm -hmm. we got to check that out. We got to see. All right. On to Jared, John. Yeah. All right. Good. So uh, an iPad tip, Jared says, uh, I picked up an awesome iPad stand called the book gem. It's foldable portable and works in both landscape and portrait orientations, as well as giving you two different viewing angles. In the words of Alton Brown, it's a multitasker. Here are some pics of it with pics of it, which he sent. you can see some of these pics uh, at the book gem website on, on the, uh, on the, on the web, because that's where websites typically are. Um, they've even got pictures of the iPad in it, uh, out there. So yeah, this thing's pretty cool and it's 15 bucks, uh, and it folds up pretty flat. So you could, you know, you could easily travel with this and use this and maybe a Bluetooth keyboard, uh, and you're good to go. So, uh, looks pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything more to say about it, John. No, it's, it's an iPad holder. It's a book gem. It's a gem of an iPad holder. Yeah. Right. That's right. All right. Everett has a comment about something that I thought was hmm. fixed, but uh, yeah. apparently if it's not fixed for Everett, there might be somebody else out there who suffers from this. So let's, uh, and it, it, and it's, it's about podcasts that play as videos, but I think this was fixed almost a year ago when iPhone OS three came out, but let us know if you're still having this problem with our podcast in particular, please. Hey, Mac Geek Gab listeners and hosts. Um, 
I have a quick tip for people that are iPhone or iPod Touch owners that download the podcast to their iPod Touch or iPhone, and um, it goes in a video format, and so you can't lock the iPhone while listening to the podcast. Or So what you do is that you lock the iPhone, and then you can double tap on the menu button, and it'll bring up the little music control thing. And you can push play and continue listening to the podcast while it's locked, which I know that that has been an issue for um, people listening to your podcast with the iPhone. So I will see you guys later. Thanks, Everett. Uh, and indeed, that does work uh, with with any video. Uh, if all you want to do is hear the audio, if, for example, you have a video of, a say, a concert film, uh, but you don't care to watch it. You just want to hear the audio while you're walking or running or driving or what have you. Uh, that that will also work. So, hmm. you ready? You ready for the Google one? Oh yeah, because I, oh. uh, I I tried this. Okay, so here we go. Hi guys, this is John Michael from Anomaly Falls. Um, I just listened to uh, number two sixty seven, and you may want to check your. Uh, facts on using Google as an outbound mail server when you're outside of your ISP. Um, I'm pretty sure that when you do that, uh, it will uh, change the from uh, from your for your email to your Google address uh, rather than your ISP address. Um, I'm pretty sure that happens. You might want to look into that and just be be aware of that. And then replies typically would come to that Google uh, to the Gmail address. Another thing to consider is if you have your own personal domain, is to use Google Apps uh, to run all of your email. Uh, I've done that with mine, and uh, once I made that switch, I've never looked back. It's there are more features than you can shake a stick at, and and that works anywhere. Thanks for the great show. Cut me off here. Bye. All right. Thanks. And I was like, Dave, this is madness. I'm like, he doesn't know what he's talking about because I do this all the time with my opt online account. You know, you can set the from to anything. Right. So I did the same thing with my Google account. So I went into mail and mail, uh, as, as you know, uh, gives you the flexibility to choose both the SMTP server that you use and the, uh, you know, the uh, from address. Uh, let's talk about the from address in mail. Wait, go ahead. Yeah, finish finish your statement, and then we'll then we'll go ahead. Sorry. To well, at least in, in the way I set up mail. So mail, I have at this point, I have three different um, accounts. I have Gmail. Yeah. I have uh, MobileMe or Mac.com or Me.com, and Optimal Online. Those are my three ISPs. So those are um, and and pretty much a mail. When I do a new email, now you know mail is pretty smart in that you know if you're replying or something like that, depending on the context, it will usually pick the right ones. Okay. Um, but yeah, if, if you do a new message, um, you know, last I looked, I'm not going to do it right now. Um, well, I could do it right now, but anyways, no, I, I just tried a test message and basically I created a new message and there was one menu that let me choose the address I'd like it to appear to come from. Right. Then there's another choice to the right of that, which are all the SMTP servers that I have to find. And I'm like, well, let me try this. So, you know, I chose, I think it was my mobile me address as the from address. I chose the Google SMTP server and, um, and sent it, sent it off, received it. And you know what? It came the from, from address your, it came from your was Google Gmail. Account. Yeah, it was not the address that I had set in mail, and I'm like, well, maybe just, there's something like, wrong with mail. Just like John's audio comment uh, indicated, it would be right. Yeah, but you know, I don't take anything for face. I gotta try it myself, <laughs> no, Dave. I agree. 
So this, this is the uh, scientific method, and uh, but anyways, and then and then I'm baffled because it works when I do it with Optimum Online, but right. then Dave, you have the answer. Well, I, I do have the answer, uh, but I want to explain why this is. As we've said, Gmail and and Google servers allow you to send mail from anywhere, but you have to authenticate. Uh, this opens up a potential security hole for spammers, right? Because a spammer could go get a Gmail account. And then just start blasting mail through it from bogus addresses or whatever. And, you know, never see the wrath of, of any of this coming back to them because they're just blasting out spam using Gmail. Well, because of this, Gmail makes it so that when you send mail through them, it comes from your Gmail address. And that way people know, hey, you know, this this message came from someone that is findable. Uh, and then Google could shut down their account if there was some problem. However, they also are well aware that you may want to send mail from another account, but you have to go in and you have to add that address to your Gmail account. Now, this is true if you have a regular Gmail account or if, uh, as John mentioned, you know, you have a Google Apps for domain. It, it doesn't matter. You go into your your Gmail account or your Google Apps uh, interface for webmail and you go to the settings icon or settings link, which is just a text link in the upper right hand corner. Uh in there, you click on accounts and import, I believe. And then uh, there's an option that a little a little uh, option kind of halfway down the page that says add another email address you own. And what you do is you'll click on that and then it'll ask you what the email address is. You type it in and it'll say, OK, I've sent a note off to that address. We're now waiting for you to verify and you go check the account in question. Uh, you'll get a, a little link. You click on that link or paste it into your browser, and then that tells Google, okay, this person obviously has access to the account that uh, they say they have access to. And once you've verified it, now it's your it's in your Google account. If you send an email coming from that address, it'll still put a header in there that indicates which Gmail account it came from. But the from address will be from whatever address you choose, as long as it's one of those. You can also... Choose that now that you've added it, if you're in the web interface, it'll give you a little drop down that lets you choose what uh, what address you want to send from. And you can choose which one you want to be the default. So just because you're using Gmail doesn't mean you have to make your Gmail address your default reply address. You can you can use whatever. And like mail, when you choose to reply to a message in the Gmail web interface, if it's if the message was sent to one of your approved uh, accounts in there. It will auto choose that as your reply to address. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to do that and then, then it should uh, work just great. And John's right uh, that Google apps for domains is fantastic. If you own your own domain, it's, it's the way to manage mail. We're, we've actually moved. Um, well, we've moved, I moved my Dave, the nerd domain over. We've moved backbeat media over and TMO is next. Uh, we're just in the process of that migration, but yeah, it it's, it's a great way to manage mail and, and you can do the, the standard edition or the pro edition. Uh, there's not a whole lot that the pro edition brings to the table. It has Postini support, but everybody I've talked to uh, that's used it hates Postini. Uh, so to, as long as you don't go outside of their 50 mailbox quota, uh, you can probably live with the standard account, which is just free. So and, and I'm going to add, it's it's a really decent client for a web, oh, for yeah. a web client. The Gmail client is is incredible with all the uh, uh, was it G Google Labs? Is that what they yeah. call it? Labs. Yeah. Click on Labs and you can put in all the extras. You can put HTML right in there nicely. So. Yeah. 
and I it and and for those of you, we talked about it on the show about how to configure a Gmail and Mail dot app to work happily with each other. I did finally post that as an article on, I believe, Tuesday morning. So, uh, so that article is now out there on the web in its uh, in all its glory. If you need to follow a set of instructions to get them set up, you do you really do need to do this. Otherwise, you'll wind up with duplicate copies of all your mail, all your Google Mail and Mail dot app. Uh, so. It's a it's a good little path to follow and uh, and it's been vetted by quite a few of us here and actually you know many thousands of listen of uh, readers now at, at TMO so it it's quality data we updated it a couple times throughout the day Tuesday just to make some tweaks but uh, but it's it's good to go so we'll we'll put that link in the show notes too and I think that's the end of our cool stuff found John mm-hmm. uh. Cool. Where are we here time-wise? Does it make sense to answer a couple of questions? You want to do a couple of these questions or should we just save them all for next week? <sighs> you know what you had here. Here's the deal. Uh, we'll skip the questions, but you did have a good uh, follow-up that sort of falls into the cool stuff found category on our, uh, on the, the last show we did, which was just a couple of days ago on Friday. Oh, the, the premium episode number 268. We talked about uh, Rosetta and enabling and disabling Rosetta and uh, John, you you found some additional information on this, which is uh, which actually stands on its own. So go ahead. Yeah, because I was trying to help. Uh, so, so basically what's happening is uh, the, this person had uh, installed some uh, hard drive software that for whatever reason installed a program that was consuming uh, that. The, uh, what was the name of the process? Is it translate? Tra- translate is tra- the name of the process. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is after installing, uh, the, you know, he used the Lacy software to install a, a hard drive, which he probably shouldn't have done, but he did anyways. And it installed something that was Rosetta or PowerPC code. And as you know, um, Rosetta will should just in the background transparently um, run this for whatever reason. This was malfunctioning. So he was asking for a way to disable Rosetta. And we offered that. Uh, we'll link to a Mac OS 10 hints article that tells you how to do this. But then. Um, I was wondering, you know, how exactly does this work? And it involves something called syscontrol. And syscontrol is a way to set um, various settings that the OS may use. Um, I'm trying to generalize, and I think that's probably as close as you're going to get. It's a, it's a way to read and or set read, yes. va- various uh, low-level settings that, that the OS relies upon. Yeah, I mean, it'll tell you, you know, how many cores you have, the speed of your, pro- you know, obviously those are read-only. It'd be very nice if you could write those and give yourself more cores or yes, more gigahertz, but you can't. But some values are writable, and the one that was writable, and this is the command you would run, is you would do sudo syscontrol, uh, I think it was dash w, and again, it's in the article, and then the, the value was kern.exec.archhandler.powerpc, and you would set it equal to slash user slash libxx slash oeh slash rosetta non grata. What that basically does is tells the OS, all right, if uh, a Rosetta app tries to launch, don't launch it. Ask if the person would like It's like you never had Rosetta installed right? by setting this variable. And then he was like, well, yeah, the problem is when I set this, if I restart, then it goes away. And then it sets it to the other value, which is the default. And I'm like, oh, you know, how am I going to... And so one thing I tried, which did not work, um, one way of running programs on startup is uh, if you go to library launch daemons, and actually I did this because when I ran this HDAPM utility, the, the one that quiets down my hard drive, this runs at startup and the guy actually provided a HDAPM.plist file. Okay. That would run this utility on startup. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds like a reasonable way to try to run this. Well, it wasn't the right way because I tried it and it never took hold. 
Then I, you know, whipped out the Google Foo and I found, no, here's the right way to do it. Now, it's not entirely obvious because the file that you need to do this does not exist. And what file is this, you asked, Dave? Uh, John, what file is that? <laughs> uh, slash etc slash syscontrol, S-Y-S-C-T-L dot conf. And then you said, Dave, I think when I said, well, that's where you put it. And you looked and uh, I looked also. The thing is, this file by default does not exist in a standard OS X installation. Got it. However, what you do is you basically create this. I used Emacs. Oh, my God. Um, well, you actually, used, te- well, Emacs? actually. You know, now you've created the holy war. You've, you've. Oh, you one of these vi weenies? You brought us into the holy war. No, I, I, I'm not. Well, I, I was back in the or day. Pico or Pico. Well, Pico's another one. So I learned. V, I learned vi first uh, yeah. before Emacs because you know it, it's better. Um, and uh, and I really never did spend a whole lot of time with Emacs. But then uh, I jumped right over and started using Pico or Nano. Uh, which I know is like mm-hmm. the lame, watered down, but easy to use thing. The thing is, if I get into VI right now, and and folks, I apologize for this. We took a very good conversation, and now uh, we've totally gone down the rabbit hole of. Uh, we'll of, come back shortly. Text editors. That's right. You can explain your faulty choice uh, pro, uh, editor preference. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so VI is very arcane and there's like, you know, you've got to hold your mouth just right and think a different way. Uh, But it's very powerful. And if I'm in there and not thinking about it, I can Mm -hmm. navigate through VI like it's nothing. But if somebody were to ask me, hey, I just launched VI. How do I quit? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I could. I could could quit if I was in front of it, but I can't. I couldn't tell you right now how to do it. I'd have to launch it and uh, and walk through. The The thing is, I have that burn into my head as far as Emacs is concerned. And I'll agree with you. VI is minimal. The yeah, thing I never oh, liked yeah. about VI is VI, from what I recall, is a modal editor, is that you can be in different modes. Correct. Very you can be much in so. edit mode or data entry mode. And I, I never liked that. Plus, yeah, I could never figure out how to get out of it. Whereas <laughs> Emacs, I know how to get out of it. It's control X, control C. And the thing is, I, I did a lot of macro work long ago, on a, actually on a prime computer. Okay. okay. If anybody knows what that is, then yeah, you're dating yourself. But I, I liked it because you could do these very sophisticated macros and just whip through text data and just do all sorts of wonderful things. Maybe you couldn't VI. But anyways, so I created, the, the thing is, text edit is not a good application to create a text file because you can't. It makes an RDF file. Right. Yeah. So basically, and, and what I did is I basically fired up Emacs to create syscontrol.conf and put in there the following, and here's the caveat. So I put in this one line, kern.exec.archhandler.powerpc. Do not put a space, is what I learned. Do not put white space in there. Immediately follow that with equals, and then you put in the path of this Rosetta non grata, slash user, slash exec, slash OAH, so on and so forth. Put that in that file, reboot, and then when you reboot, to see if that takes hold, probably the best thing to do is go into the terminal, and then you would say something like SYSCTL space dash A, for example, or you could do an output and a grep and stuff like that. I just did a dash A and looked for the list to see if it took hold. And lo and behold, it took hold. So yeah. you may never need to do this, but if you need to set a syscontrol variable on startup, this is uh, probably the best way that is supported by the OS. But, but again, it's not obvious because the file is not there unless you create it. Got it. Cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, one other thing while we're on the text editor conversation, and I always forget this uh, until after I've like opened up VI or Nano or Pico, is uh, that BB edit also installs a command line editor. But the cool thing is, so instead of typing, say, VI space slash Etsy slash sysctl.conf, 
you'd type BB edit space, space slash Etsy slash CTL.com. But the difference is instead of where VI would open up, you know, in the terminal or Emacs would open up in the terminal and you'd have to deal with this, you know, VT 100 ish kind of thing. Uh, BB edit opens up in BB edit in your normal. I can use a mouse and, you know, menus and, and windowed beauty. And then when you save, it saves it back out to the, you know, to wherever you said. So that's really the best way to edit these files is if you have BB edit, that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, so just, Oh, I should have used BB edit. See? Oh, <laughs> now, you know what I noticed also, Dave is actually, I just in snow leopard start, typed VI and yeah. they actually imp- include a version it's actually called vim vi improved right and what do they put on the uh splash screen at the beginning they tell you how to get out how to get out colon which is q enter yes (laughs) no no it's not q enter it's colon q yes yes Yes. yeah and it shows that on the first uh uh, on the on the splash screen before you start using it so uh right very nice. That's awesome. But yeah, that was that was digging, man, because I, I was one once I, I realized I didn't give him a correct answer on how to uh, it, it sounds like since since we communicated with him that he solved the problem anyways, or it went away, which actually kind of scares me. That's, yeah. Well, he was asking a question. And I don't know about this. He was saying, does Rosetta translate on the fly or does it kind of do a once, you know, kind of go through something and then write out a translated version? As far as I know, I think it translates on the fly. That that was my understanding too. He was under the impression that, you know, this this translate thing was chugging, and eventually got done translating it to no. something that the OS could understand. Yeah, I I just think I think we talked about it. Yeah, in the previous, it, it was a garbage uh, application. It was a right. crummy old application that just spun up Rosetta and and wouldn't let go. So I don't think Rosetta was the problem. I think it was their app was the problem. It was poorly written, and it was just Rosetta appeared to be the problem. There you go. All right. Uh, I think that's where we wrap it up. I mean, the band's already playing, so, you know, that's that's the cue right there. Yeah, well, they, they want to get some AC action. That's right. Goodness. If you want to contact us, there's a couple of different ways. Let's do this in uh, semi-reverse order today. So uh, we are out there on Twitter. Uh, uh, Twitter.com slash John F. Braun gets you to John. Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete gets you to Pete. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton gets you to me. Twitter.com slash Mac Geek Gab gets you to anything pertinent to the show itself. And then, of course, Twitter.com slash Mac Observer gets you everything to do with uh, with TMO in general. John? Um, you know, you could also, I, I think it's somewhat reverse. Well, you know, you could, if you have a question or a comment or, or you just want to say hi, you could send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I think you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> That's what I said. And I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you're a premium listener, and we always appreciate it if you're a premium listener, uh, premium at MacGeekGab.com. And the new, uh, the new payment system seems to be working well. We did fix the issue that was preventing international users from processing their credit cards on that. So, uh, so that, that is uh, clear and good to go. So that's... Uh, that's how that works. And then, of course, you can call us 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. The We Have Communicators podcast is Michael Johnston's home. He converts this show into AAC format for you and for us. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo, and BB Edit from Barebone Software. 
PDF pen and text expander from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, uh, GoToAssist Express from Citrix at GoToAssist.com slash Gab, and of course, Gazelle, where you can sell your um, used gadgets. And uh, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And I think, John, that takes us out of here. You know, someone asked me this, Dave. I'm, I'm amazed the band, they, they just always seem to know right about when, when we're going we're to finish. It's amazing, isn't it? It's uncanny. Have a good week. I think our next show is a week from today. We'll do it video. Don't get caught. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Made up.